0: And welcome to another installment of the Shelf Care Interview, an occasional podcast where Booklist editors get to talk with authors and artists about their books. I'm Sarah Hunter, editor of the Books for Youth and Graphic Novel sections at Booklist, and I'm delighted to talk today with Alan Kelly and Jackson Lanzig, co-writers of the comic series Star Trek. The first trade paperback, God Shock, came out in July, and Volume 2, The Red Path, will be out in November. Many thanks to IDW for sponsoring this podcast. Before we get to the questions, let me tell you a little bit about my guests. Screenwriters and comic book creators Colin and Jackson have collaborated on a dizzying number of series together, including Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, Batman Beyond Neo Year, and along with Brandon Sanderson, Dark One, as well as many others. They both live in LA. Thank you so much for joining us today, Colin and Jackson.
1: Thank you, Sarah. It's really lovely
2: to be here. Yes, absolutely. We're really glad to be joining you today. Wonderful.
0: Wonderful. Um, So let's start with uh, the new series. Tell us a little bit about the origin story of your Star Trek comics.
1: So Star Trek has been a personal quest of ours for some time. We both grew up on Star Trek. Our parents both used it um, as like bonding and teaching tools and parenting tools. Um, My mom's literally like trying to write a book about raising your child using Star Trek as like a moral compass mechanism. So Star Trek is kind of like deep in our DNA and... We had been working together for over a decade now, and we have really, like, we very much share a brain and share a lot of passions. And Star Trek is one of those places that's been very, very key to both our friendship and our work. And so for years, we would pitch books as like, this is our Star Trek, because they'll never let us do Star Trek, but really hoping very much that uh, someday we would get to play with that uh, that core universe and um, set of concepts that really inspired us. And so we had come on for a few years to do a book called Star Trek Year Five over at IDW that um, was the fifth year of the five year mission for fans of the original series. It was basically a way for them to like see what the final season of the original series might have been like. And for us, it was an incredible way to take uh, the original series and try to tie it to a lot of the stuff that we loved growing up from next gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, et cetera, um, while still paying like direct tribute to the original series. And what we discovered there was how much we loved doing that. We did that like a writer's room, like a television series. We brought a bunch of people in. We all worked together to tell the series. And so when we finished it, we sort of said like, look, the only reason we would come back to do Star Trek again would be if we got to do something really new and really fresh, not another series adaptation. And that's when Heather Antos, the editor of the line who had just come on to IDW to edit that line, called us up and said, hey guys, what does a book look like if it's just called Star Trek?
2: And that was an incredible opportunity. I'm effectively kind of opening the gateway to the story that we have always wanted to tell. Um, Star Trek is literally one of the um, you know, in contemporary culture, one of the very oldest shared universes. Uh and treating it like that is when Star Trek really shines. So what we were able to do was locate a single year, 2378, which is between uh the end of Voyager and the start of Nemesis when all All of the characters of Star Trek that you know and love are on the table. So with the opportunity to tell the ultimate Star Trek story, we pulled out all the stops, and we realized that what we really wanted to tell is the story of our very favorite captain and commander, Benjamin Sisko, um, who is canonically one of the only captains who hasn't gotten his ending at the end of DS9 when he said he would come back. Um, With that as our core, we realized that we wanted to build out his crew and his ship with an all-star cast of characters from all the shows that we know and love for one very special mission. Um, So we were able to bring in Data as his number two, a Beverly Crusher in medical, Tom Paris at helm, and effectively tell the story of an all-star cast, an Avengers, if you will, of incredible Star Trek characters um, to tell a story uh, unlike anything that Star Trek has really touched before. You write about
0: a lot of established characters. So what's the most challenging thing about writing about iconic characters that a lot of fans have a lot of feelings about? What an excellent
2: question. I think one of the most interesting things, or, you know, and Jack will have his own answer, but I think one of the challenges that we do face is taking the idea of a character and not just responding to what the fans want, but looking at what the character really needs to be ingesting all of the history of that character so you can pay respect to it but not then just rehashing and playing the hits um it's very easy to remix what has come before but that is disingenuous to the legacy of the character um by uh, s- absorbing and then moving forward and telling new stories occasionally you can tweak the nose of what people expect but ultimately if you're just giving them exactly what they want Sometimes that's not going to be what they need. Similarly, I, I think I mean, that's really well said. And I, and I think it's,
1: it's similar to how you have to think of characters in general, right? What we try to do when we come onto an established character is, is do what we would do if we were coming up with the characters ourselves, which is to say, establish a want and establish a need. Establish a thing that they believe is the thing that they need and want. And then reveal over the course of a story that what they believed that they needed is not actually what they needed. That's the center of drama, it's Aristotelian. It goes back thousands of years. And, and ultimately it's it's just like sort of core to like the way that we tell stories. We think about human change, like how we adjust and change. And so coming onto Star Trek, one of the things that we immediately knew was Cisco was gonna have a sense of what he needed coming into the story. And then by the time we were done with the story, you know, 30, 40 issues in, however long the, the story ends up going, how do we take him on a long journey that gets you to a point where he has gone through a revelation about his own situation, where he is now in control of his own situation, um, at least from an understanding of knowing what he needs and wants, and then can make those decisions um, at the end of the story that he would never make at the beginning of the story. And that to us is like, is is drama, that's character. Star Trek is a little easier just because no stories have been told with most of these characters for a very long time. But on something like Captain America or Guardians of the Galaxy, especially, um, which is a book we're doing right now where we took a hard left turn. From what was happening before, and not because we didn't love it, but because there was nowhere we saw to go from that, and that meant looking at those characters and saying, "Okay, what do they coming out of the 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 sort of optimistic world that they're in at the beginning of their uh, you know the story that they they left behind? They think they know what they want and need. How do we reveal that that's not true, and find another way around to to get them to their next level in their next stage? And I think that's the essence of trying to move these characters forward with the understanding that you can never move them so far forward where they stop being themselves. We we talk about putting the toys back in the box. You're always going to have to put the toys back
0: in the box. I'm curious about how you got started writing comics together. So Colin
1: and I's origin, it sort of happened almost by accident. We're initially college rivals. We (laughs) were introduced through a mutual friend and so for initially there was some like friction between us for a couple of years, and then we slowly became friends just by nature of always hanging out with this third friend. We'd all get in the the car, which is the only car any of us had, which was our friend's car.
2: Which which was a PT cruiser, which is yep. a, a a completely unnecessary detail to this story. Yeah. But if we all recall the PT cruisers, uh they are a hilarious car.
0: Yes.
1: And Dave would, uh, Dave Starverse's is his name. He would drive us to the, uh, uh, he would drive us in his beauty cruiser to the local comic shop and we would all get our comics and we would all go eat pizza and we'd all talk about our comics. And we basically had this like weekly comic book club that we would all do as like 18 year old kids. And then as we reached the end of college, Colin and I uh, were in a small writing group together and ended up reading each other's work. And Colin's work was very, very different than mine. Like fundamentally very different. Mine was very, very different than his but we were finding a lot of mutual respect in our work um, that's making us closer friends. And so when we got to the end of college, we took a road trip together. We drove out there uh, to Chicago, uh, stayed at a friend's house, drove back. And on the way, we were talking about movies and television. And we we um, cracked a, a movie that we thought would be kind of neat. And we wrote and you know, because you have a lot of days in the car, but we wrote it out longhand just, you know, while we were driving and then we stopped at this little motel outside of Yellowstone, and uh, we had one computer between the two of us, and we wrote as much of it as we could. We wrote about 85 pages that day, and they weren't good pages, but they were pages. And we, after refining them, we sort of looked at them and said, you know, this is actually probably, this is like better than anything either of us were writing alone, really feels like it takes the
2: best of Colin's
1: work and the best of my work and like Synergizes it into something really unique. And,
2: and the fun detail there is also that we recently just finished our fifth, just celebrated our 15 year anniversary, ironically, back in Chicago. Uh, we were there as a special guests for a convention uh, and we realized we hadn't even planned it, but a full 15 year circle. We are writing the books and stories that we love and we are honored and privileged to get to work with incredible editors who trust us um, with some absolutely incredible stories.
0: So you obviously spend a lot of time thinking about Star Trek and dwelling in yeah. those worlds and thinking about those characters, though, so either separately or together. In your opinion, what is the best Star Trek series? I mean, we'll
2: have the same answer. Deep yeah. Space
0: Nine.
2: I'm on record for Deep Space Nine on this one. We love many of the Star Trek series. Um, all of them have absolute value. And this new age of Star Trek that we're living in is absolutely incredible. Uh, I don't think we can gush loudly enough about Lower Decks. You know, I think Strange New Worlds, there's incredible stuff going on in Strange New Worlds. Absolutely. Um, The newest season of Picard has been an absolute dream for any Star Trek fans. I will occasionally go to the mat for Voyager. It's the redheaded stepchild of the Star Trek franchise. Um, I love some of those characters, and that's why we get to see them. Especially uh, as fans, we will move into our, we are currently uh, working on the fourth arc. Of our run, where some very exciting Star Trek Voyager characters will uh, will make their debut, and yeah, I, I, I think we are we are overall in love with the Star Trek mythos and world. So picking a favorite is a mean question. I have a real soft spot,
1: um, obviously, for the original series. I think the original series is a a really beautiful template for everything that came after it. But simultaneously, it also does something really unique to it, which is like all the other Star Trek series, pretty much to the one, are ensemble series. They are built around a large ensemble and uh, really pass the torch around the bridge, around the crew, and around the place. TOS is not. TOS is remembered as an ensemble because the movies are ensemble, but TOS is is a triumvirate. It has three leads this Kirk, Spock, and Bones, and everybody else gets like a little time in the sun. It's so it's such a perfect little story engine. I think TOS is just a really beautiful magic trick. Um, and and having operated inside of it for so long, I think it really felt that sort of felt like Star Trek: Grad School for us. Deep Space Nine has my heart because it is the one that was willing to not just tell ensemble stories. Um, or even tell the story about like a universe, like really codify the universe and 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 start making it feel super constructed and uh, and 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 clockwork. There's all of this like world building, which is is I just love. Um, and, and obviously as a as a young person, really attached myself to. I just finished a rewatch because my wife had never seen it, and and she wanted to finally watch it so that she could read the comics. And the thing that really blew my mind in rewatching it was the degree to which the show is dedicated to no one being perfect. All of these characters are people and they're surviving inside of a utopia, but they are not utopic people. They are the kind of people who end up on a frontier space station that's nowhere near the utopia. And what is it like to try to live those utopian ideals
2: when you yourself are really not cut out for it? Deep Space Nine respects every one of its characters as people and refuses to thinly sketch them or treat them like caricatures. And to its detriment, that is one of the things that TOS really did do, especially with its alien races, is really thinly sketched them and really created kind of broad cutouts. Because I think at the time that was what people needed in order to ingest it. But by the time we get to Deep Space Nine, people are ready for the gray. And they're ready to find sympathy even in the most reprehensible of us and I think that is, that is once again, that human story. Um, and that's the thing that we we absolutely latch on to uh, and think is in, some incredible storytelling.
0: Librarians are always on the lookout for books for their collections that maybe have slipped under their radar. So I'm wondering if you can share some underrated comics artists or writers who you really love, who you think deserve more attention.
1: So I already mentioned Chris Cantwell, who is working with us on Defiant. He did a book called Everything that I just desperately love and which I think a lot of people slept on. Um, it's a kind of surrealist story about a big box store that moves into a small town and uh, proceeds to like start altering and messing with the reality of that small town and the people in it. It's very strange and very interesting and a really beautiful critique both of capitalism but also of our the way that we interact with capitalism. In our day to day lives, it's a it's a it's a really beautiful series, and I think oh I think more people should read it.
2: A friend of ours, who's a, truly a dear friend and is an incredible writer, and frankly, does not get enough love, is Cecil Castellucci. Oh yeah, Cecil is an absolute treasure trove. One of the smartest people we know. One of the kindest people we know. Um, I think her work is poignant and beautiful, and um, really can sit nicely on a shelf. Uh, Yeah. And I think I think um, it's the kind of stuff that a lot of people can fall in love with if they only had the opportunity to um, to take a look.
1: Uh, Shifting Earth is her newest book and uh, a lot of people slept on it. And it's a great book. It's very interesting. It's about climate change. Uh, It's about the way that we deal with um, concepts of hope uh, and despair. It's a it's a really it's a really beautiful book. Um, She also has a lot of great short stories. I don't know that there's a lot of collections of them, but um, her short story work is 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 outstanding.
2: Um, We got some advice very early on in our careers that the people who really are the tastemakers, the ones who will find your fans, the ones who will really engage with people and bring your work to them are librarians. Neither of us grew up wealthy. Um, Living at the library was really where we both cut our teeth, Um, fell in love with comics because our librarian was the sole librarian in town who was willing to invest in a graphic novel collection when almost every adult we would ever meet rolled their eyes. Um, Because of our local libraries, we were able to kind of crack into this industry that we now is our entire life. Like, cannot speak highly enough about the noble and wonderful work done by uh, this nation's librarians, especially in this complicated day and age. Um, So we we are just, if we can gush back to the listener, um, we are very (laughs) pleased, honored, and proud of all the good work you guys do.
0: All it takes is one librarian to hand you like a book that you don't expect to set you down a path of yep. like really fascinating book discovery.
1: Literally, both of us have that story. Okay. Um, it, it was crucial in both of our lives. Uh, I, I spent more time at the library in high school than pretty much anywhere else, um, and 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 I think that was true of me. And certainly, that was true of me in elementary school. My elementary school library was like where I lived. Like I, <laughs> I just was there. All the time.
2: Don't don't put me in an arena. Do not send me to the bleachers. I have no place in your book club, but you can plop me down in any library and I will be happy as a clam. There is nothing better than the smell of books and the quiet rustling of pages. Uh, I'll take that over the cheer of a crowd any
0: day. (laughs) That seems like a really great thought to end this. And it's about all the time we have for it anyway. So thank you again for talking with me today about the books and about Star Trek. I love talking about Star Trek and thanks also to idw for making this podcast possible hope you all have something excellent to read now